This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. You're tuned in to The Property Show, your take on all things property related. And I'm Philip C. On today's Property Show, with me is Wan Ru, Country Manager of International Business at One Global Group in Malaysia. And we're going to interrogate and ask her on what Malaysians are looking for overseas in terms of property. A very good morning to you, Wan Ru. How are you keeping? Good morning. I'm very good. Uh, hope everyone is well. I hope they're well because many of us, those who are able to and have the capacity, are thinking, hmm, where are Malaysians looking for in terms of overseas properties? What are the markets that are interesting and sexy for Malaysians now? Okay, I would say uh, Malaysia have a very, how do I say, a very good site in terms of investment. So they have a very wide range of uh, investment appetite. So you can see a Malaysian investor in the UK, Europe, US, uh, Middle East, uh, of course, Asia, right? So, but compared with all the markets activities that we have seen, uh, Melbourne and London are very much um, the, the main locations for the property that offer for Malaysians. So, Kampung London still holds. La. Kampung, London, <laughs> Kampung London still remains KL, the second KL, isn't it? So, yeah, correct. You're right. So, it's true that the traditional UK and Australian markets haven't really gone away since the pandemic. They are yep. still very interested in these conventional UK and Australian markets then. Correct, correct. Yeah, as you can see, a lot of people actually start travelling. And then, where, where do they travel? Of course... London, right? Mm. London, Australia, these are the main locations. I wonder where the levels are like though, pre-COVID. Like, is the interest still there? Has it con- gone back to pre-pandemic levels? Or uh, is it still building up, you know, to where it should be? Mm, okay, uh, for what we see, it's actually building up. The interest is definitely there. It's never gone, like, really cool. Uh, even since, even uh, COVID time, we have people still looking. So, I would say it's picking up and probably picking up to pre-COVID very soon. Very soon. I think so. You're, mm. you're assuming hopefully by 2023, you know, things could actually be at that same level as where we were pre-pandemic levels perhaps. Yeah, hopefully we can see that uh, go to the normal in 2023. And that's where I want to understand, right? How different are they? Are they looking at things differently or is it just the same old stuff again? For example, let's give an example, right? London, Perth, Melbourne. Are they looking at the same thing? South Kensington, High Street Kensington, the CBD. <laughs> are they very focused on the CBD or are they trying to look at different permutations or different forms and formats now? Yeah, South Kensington, all these uh, are the, the places that we like, isn't it? So, uh, I would say people still looking uh, in the central, okay, because of the convenience, because of the, the place that we are familiar, the transport and everything. But uh, prices never, never gone down. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so it keeps rising. So uh, that's why a lot of people tend to look into Zone 2 or Zone 3. Because even, even though we say Zone 2 or Zone 3, the distance to the central is what, like 15-20 minutes away. Yeah. So it's still convenient. So yeah, for London, people still looking to like uh, zone two, zone three, and for Melbourne, uh, we still looking much, uh, very much into city fringe. How big is the price differential? I'm just wondering, right? Like, let's say London zone one versus say zone two, zone three. How big is the price differential? You know, for the same kind of property, just give me a ballpark figure. 
okay, you need to see uh, which part of London as well, right? Yeah. Uh, so for if you are looking into the West, of course, the prices in the West tend to be a bit higher because of the, the so to say, premium, right, for the West. And uh, for the East, you tend to see a bit more uh, cheaper and it's uh, coming up. So if you are looking into right, central, central, we are talking probably about um, per square foot. Uh, it could be up to about three, four thousand pounds per square foot in central. Okay. So zone two, zone two, you are probably looking into a thousand, six hundred, six hundred psf to a thousand psf, depending on which side of London. Mm. Yeah. So, so decent differential actually, quite substantive yep. differential. So that Correct. that could drive and change behaviors. And I, I was just thinking out loud, you know, having studied in UK and I was very lucky I had a mama and papa scholarship and such, right? But wow. is the intention still about, you know, supporting their children overseas or are other intentions of purchasing property changed and evolved a lot since then? I would say it still remains similar because uh, other than hedging for for the, the currency, education play a very, very big part. Uh, and parents parents send their kids to to London to to Melbourne, and that's why you can see the top location for Malaysian to invest is still remain the same. Yeah, throughout. Yeah, and and, and so is this a case where if just for us to deep dive a bit further on London, is this a case where? They will buy a property in London, but the children are actually studying further out, like in Leeds, Liverpool, <laughs> you know. It, so, are they buying London, but the children stay further out, but then they come to London to stay? Or are they buying near to where the university is? What what, what are the kind of distinctions and trends here, right, in terms of the interest <laughs> in UK? Yeah, yeah, correct. You are right, right. Okay. Uh, yeah, a lot of parents actually, when they firstly came to us, right, they will say, oh, I'm looking probably near their university, okay? But after they dig further, you will see um, the bigger city tends to have a better um, investment investment upside. Yeah. And that's why they will go, go back to London, they will go back to Manchester, yeah, go back to the big city. Right. So essentially, they're using the child as an excuse to buy a property, lah. but eventually, <laughs> the whole intention is investment. Is that fair? Correct, correct. So they're using oh, for, the ch- for them for them to stay, for them to have a reason to go to London and stay, right? Right. So, <laughs> so the ulterior motive really isn't to provide for the child; it's really for them to stay in London, <laughs> and and then just use it as an excuse to, to go shopping in Harris and such. Like, is that what we're yeah, saying here? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Correct, correct. <laughs> I mean, okay. Let's just talk. Let's let's not talk about London going forward because that's just traditional, right? I I wonder in your mind, are there any surprising new markets that you find Malaysians very interested in now besides the classic London and you Australia we we see Malaysian look into Portugal uh, before the the pandemic because uh, Portugal introduced the visa the, the the migration visa but after a while it cooled down okay right. the market is not as matured compared to London and uh, and Australia so I would say people still looking very much into the mature market. I have to say, when I hear you, right, what, no matter what the government does, all these very interesting incentives to attract people and such, eventually it is the location that counts, isn't it? It is what matters in the end all the time. You can have all the very interesting incentives and programs. Eventually, it's all about what is attractive about that location, isn't it? Correct. And that's why when people looking into investment, they always say location, location, location. Nothing... 
beats the location already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess that's where then for me, then when you talk about beyond London and and Australia, right? How about the likes of Southeast Asia, like Singapore, Bangkok? You know, do they find this too close to home as an investment piece? That Singapore, Bangkok, Bali, they're just too close to home. Is that why perhaps the appetite isn't there? Oh, okay. The appetite for Singapore or Bangkok or, or even uh, uh, the Indonesia, right? They are. But the reason like we mentioned earlier, because of the education uh, for Bangkok and Indonesia is not as uh, uh, as good compared to the one that we mentioned. And for Singapore property, Singapore property has um, very high um, stamp duty. So that's why it for it's not like a mass market. People still buy into Singapore. It's not for the mass market. Mm. And yeah. I guess that's where it, it comes down to the fact that really it's interesting that it's still London and Australia that remain uh, the attractive overseas destinations for many, Correct. many Malaysians. Correct. But having said that, right, uh, yeah, there are people who did mention to me that because of uh, COVID, I find it very difficult to travel to see my kids in, in London, right? So I'd rather buy in, in Singapore. But of course, it comes back to what's your budget that you allocated? Mm. So it comes back to that. All right, we'll have more from Ranru after these messages. Stay with us, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to The Property Show on The Morning Run. I'm Philip C and I have with me Wan Ru, Country Manager of International Business at One Global Group Malaysia. As we understand where Malaysians are looking for overseas properties. You know, Wan Ru, before the pandemic, I was seeing all these hotels, all these very interesting roadshows, selling all sorts of properties in London and Melbourne, right? Is that still the way people sell properties here? Okay, of course, in the past two years, right, uh, when when the COVID first appeared, exhibition uh, were almost non-existent, okay? Yeah. But however, for the last six months or so, we see them picking up again. So particularly for, uh, again, London and Melbourne, okay? I would say it still works uh, as consumers get to ask questions and also meet developers because people want to understand even more on the market itself. So yeah, it, it's still a good good way to engage people. But in terms of deciding, I don't see people can decide that that fast. Yeah. Yeah. Pre-COVID, we tend to do exhibition every week and then we have closing every week. <laughs> Mm. So what yeah. you're saying here, the difference and distinction is in the past. You had these um, kind of hotel exhibitions, but the transactions came relatively fast. But now mm. you're saying there's a big distinction and difference, right? People are seeing yeah. it, but they're taking a bit longer to evaluate and think through the options Correct. beforehand. Correct. I wonder then when these exhibitions take place, they're really just all new bills, isn't it? There aren't all these existing bills that are being promoted, right? It's all these new upcoming developments taking place, isn't it? Correct. We almost, almost all the exhibition doing new builds and off the plan. So this is uh, because it's good for investors to plan their financings as well. And that's uh, a point about, yeah, and that's a problem, right, with financing now. I think for me, especially looking at it, right, with our ringgit so weak at the moment, has that been a deterrent for people looking for overseas properties? Are people second-guessing or having doubts about going overseas because of the weaker ringgit? To be honest, I'm in the industry for 10 years already. I keep hearing people say, uh, diversification. I think the main reason because the future for ringgit, we we, we still have doubt lah for for future uh, for for ringgit, and uh, we see in long term in long term a lot of people forecast for pound for AUD you uh, they will rise, and mm. you will have better bet 
if you buy in overseas. And this is where I, I think I also hear this implicit conversations from many of my friends where many say, okay, I don't believe in the future of Malaysia. I don't see that there are any growth prospects here. So let me just um, find a way to move out or not be over-reliant on my fortunes here. Is that the narrative that's still being paraded and sold about when you speak to property investors that they don't believe in the future in Malaysia? That seems to be the overriding theme. Is that still prevailed? I would say uh, we we still have hope for Malaysia, right? It's just that it's uh, diversification. We just don't put all the eggs in one basket. Sure. That's all. Yeah. So that's why people look overseas. It's, I'm not saying all the people looking into overseas and put all their money in overseas. There are people still buying in Malaysia. We have hope for Malaysia. Right. Yeah. Just that comparatively, if you are surplus, if you have additional, so you would want your money to work better. And I guess then the biggest issue then is financing, as you were talking about, right? That the people are pausing a bit to understand all the different financing schemes that take place. How difficult is it easy now to secure financing for overseas investments? I mean, I take note that interest rates are rising. So the cost to funds, cost to finance will rise. How difficult is it now, you know, to find all these financing solutions and facilities to support these overseas property transactions? Okay, there's always a changing area or changing regulation. But there are different companies offering mortgages. Other than the traditional bank, we have also a non-bank lender who have stepped in. So we have quite a wide range of lender who can lend. And mm. even for those people buying now, we, we still have people able to get financing in the bank or other facilities that they have. So it's... It's very much still, I would say, still easy as long as you provide or you met their criteria. So give me a sense, right? Let's say I am nothing. I, I'm really just looking for my first property overseas, right? What are the first few steps I need to take to basically start talking about access to financing then? Okay, firstly, uh, if you are first-time investor, your pay slip, uh, I would say, or your, your tax need to be consistent. Okay. Need to be consistent or you, you need to have um, enough to show. Recurring income that's uh, substantive income. And, yep. and can justify the, the larger bill that comes with the overseas property development because of the Correct. currency. Okay. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So uh, if you have all this to show, you tend to be okay because bank actually like Stable income, actually. For sure. Uh, as long as you have stable income, then you are fine. I see. And this applies to all banks, right? I mean, there's always this perception, oh, let me work Let me work with an international bank that has the network and facility across the branches and locations in where I'm buying the property. Does that really matter or not? No, it doesn't matter. Uh, they still look into the same thing. They still request the same documents. Yeah, so it really yeah. is not a consideration, isn't it? Yeah. So then tell me then, when you talk about government and regulations, I'm sure since the pandemic, there have been all these measures on the regulatory side, right? And especially, I mean, for me, examples are, you know, measures to cool the market, you know, respective governments have put in place all sorts of policies, right? Let's say hypothetically, and let's do two examples, one in London and one in Melbourne, right? How have the regulations changed, you know, since the pandemic in, in terms of making it easier or harder for me to buy a property there? Actually, it makes it harder for foreigners to purchase. Mm, what are that's the... why if you, if you want to buy, the earlier you buy, you, you, it's more beneficial. Tell me why it's harder. What are the things that have made it harder so far? Okay, like, like you say earlier, because it's cooling measure, right? So, 
they tend to increase the rate or increase the stamp duty for foreign foreigner to purchase because they don't want they don't want the property price um, rise up too fast and the local people cannot catch. Mm. Yeah, so this is a way to to do the cooling measure. And uh, having said that, for whatever uh, percentage they have increased, there are still people looking to buy. So there's no way to really cool down, cool down. But somehow they try. They try. Yeah, they try. Even for Australia. Yeah, for Australia. You have seen, I have seen Australia from zero foreign stamp duty until now you have what? Like 12%, 13% and people still buying. It sounds like, I mean, that's a segment that's really relatively price insensitive, la, in my view. Yeah. And I just wonder then, you know, because as you say, right, this conversation would have been very different, let's say, six months ago when property markets were hot. But now we are seeing the reverse, right? We're seeing perhaps some bubbles even burst gradually, right? That's where then the opportunities exist, isn't it? And that's where even the government might turn pull back on some of these cooling measures. Do you sense that that's a likely scenario in 2023? In 2023, uh, we actually see the cooling measure will continue until end of this year. And probably next year, we see price rise. Yeah. And a better market in 2023. Well, fingers crossed, right? Because I, I always wonder then, we, you know, as we see hopefully the demand recover, although perhaps 2023 will be a bit challenging, but as we see at the end of 23, 24, things will hopefully improve uh, in the period of time. In the consideration of the property then, uh, Malaysian-based or well, branded overseas properties, do they have a premium? Do they command a premium? For example, Siam Dhabi and such, right? When you talk to local Malaysians here who are looking overseas, right, does that brand matter? Yeah, actually familiarity does help. So that's why uh, when we when we first do the Battersea project, a lot of Malaysians start buying into London because of that. Because of how familiar they are with, with the developer. Uh, that is what people uh, like. Okay, because, oh, yeah, our Malaysia developer also in the in the UK and then we know them. So that's why they, they, they buy into it. And from then, you see a lot more people looking into other stuff and other developer. So that's so, where I, I find very I find very intriguing. Like, you know, someone like Simon Darby comes in, they they create this awareness that you can come to London and purchase a property. Perhaps then, you know, for some it doesn't fit or such. Is there a spillover that other developers then benefit who are not necessarily Malaysian then that, that they benefit from this spillover of the brand of Simon Darby coming into London? Yes, it definitely has the spillover effect. <laughs> For the, for the area itself, since then, uh, Battersea area has become very popular, mm. I would say. Yeah, because the whole area has uh, going through, is going through a regeneration. Yeah, so you can see a lot more development going. And there are other developers uh, from the UK and other places in that area. And, you know, for me, right, just to understand the Malaysian investor, what kind of quirks, what kind of needs they want that are very uniquely Malaysian versus perhaps a, a normal UK resident? For example, do they want a bigger kitchen? Like, what are the things that are unique that a Malaysian investor looks for that are different from the general local investor then? I would say pretty much similar because... Uh, Okay, the reason that we buy, come, come back to the reason that we buy, right? Yeah. It's uh, for, for own stay or for the kids. So the convenience to uh, walking distance to, to public transport, the convenience to get your amenities is really important. And for local people, it's the same because they, they take public transport. They are not like us. They don't drive. I mean, yeah, they don't really drive. 
walking distance to the private transport station, uh, like about 15 to 20 minutes is normal. Okay. So they don't yeah. necessarily impose their own kind of values and views or like their lifestyle of Malaysia into UK. They, and they are very practical, right? Malaysians, I guess. Correct, correct. The only thing that I see changes is on the toilet. The toilet? <laughs> they used to, yes, they used to have very, uh, like, too big one buff. Okay, <laughs> so, yes. Because, yeah, because of Malaysian, I mean like Asian. So now you see more too big, too buff. I mean, it makes sense for us to have more, right? <laughs> <laughs> I won't, I won't, uh, yeah, I, I won't dispute that because I know that, you know, we tend to bathe every day. So it's very important to bathe every day. Not necessarily the case in UK from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I, I, I find it like, mm, okay, now they change. Because you back then, I used to have a lot of people say, how come they only need just one toilet? Um, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, that's one of the very interesting quirks, right? That's unique to Malaysia. Now, let's talk a bit more seriously then. I mean, you know, GE15 is around the corner. I presume that GE15 doesn't really factor or change any sentiment, isn't it? It's just really the customer individually wanting to look. GE15 doesn't factor into any decisions. Perhaps maybe only broader economic prosperity. I Okay, so far, because it's just announced that we probably have GE, right? So, so far, there isn't any sign of slowing down. Uh, and in fact, um, those people who are looking they are actually competing with the local market to get what they want. Yeah. Yeah, especially nowadays, uh, people tend to want bigger size uh, unit or two to three bedders. And the local also the same. They also want a two to three bed kind. That's why this two to three bed has become very popular. And if you really want to get something, you cannot wait. The moment you see it and you like it, you must take action. You yeah. must decide. So it After one or two, the unit has been, has been sold. Yeah, I think what you're saying here is, look, all these macroeconomic geopolitical considerations really factor quite lightly into the consideration here. Lah. So far, I have not seen any. Wanru, thank you so much for taking your time and spending your time with me today. On today's Property Show, I had the privilege of speaking to Wanru, Country Manager of International Business at One Global Group Malaysia, as we try to unpack what Malaysians look for in overseas property investments. We have the 10am News Bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.